2008, the Australian Bureau of Statistics estimated that nearly 3 million Australians live with depression or anxiety. And that affects their well-being and their personal relationships and their career and their productivity. One in uh, four people in Australia will experience anxiety at some point in their life. Um, this is the most common health condition that we have in this nation. One in three women, one in five men at some point in their life will experience anxiety. And yet this is happening in a world, in a nation, where we have no material needs, really. Just this week, we passed Switzerland as having the highest median wealth for every adult of any nation in the world. If you were to line up all adult Australians and pick the middle person, they would have a wealth of $270,000. That's a lot of money. It's in a world where uh, there are over 70 million people who are refugees and displaced, and in such a world, we have a peaceful nation. The unemployment rate for this nation is the lowest it's ever been since 2012. And yet in the midst of all of this, we are some of the most anxious and depressed people in the Western world. One of the most common characteristics of people who suffer with anxiety or depression is a loss of hope. A loss of hope for the future. Our world needs hope. This time of the year is also considered one of the most stressful for mental health. Good old Christmas. We prepare ourselves for family gatherings where things might be tense. We become anxious as we try to select just the right gift for our picky children and our overindulged grandchildren. We eat too much. We sleep too little as we go from function to function. Some of us may be filled with grief as we mourn the loss of family at this time. We may be experiencing intense loneliness in the midst of this supposedly joyous season. I want to say to you, if you are drowning in busyness as you prepare for Christmas, there's good news. If you're someone who's dealing with loss and grief, in this festive season, there is good news. If you're dealing with loneliness, depression and anxiety, there is good news. And if you're amongst us and you're on top of the world and just looking forward to the summer season of relaxation, there is also good news. Hallelujah, hope is coming. Today is the first Sunday of Advent, a very special time, as Danny suggested, in the Christian calendar leading up to Christmas. The word Advent is a Latin word from a Latin word Adventus, and it just simply means coming. And traditionally, the first two weeks of Advent look towards the coming of Jesus at the end of time. And the last two weeks look to the first coming of Jesus as the baby in the manger. And Advent is a time in the Christian calendar when we're reminded of the hope that we have as followers of Jesus. Now, 
You know that hope can either be a verb or a noun. As a verb, I hoped I win the lottery. Lottery. I hope I live a long life. I hope I lose weight without exercising or dieting. That's the kind of hope we're talking about. But Christian hope is not a verb, but it's a noun. It's something that we possess. Christian hope is a confident expectation of the future that we hold, that we possess. The famous Christian writer, G.K. Chesterton, you might know him because he wrote the series Father Brown, if you ever watch that on TV. Hope means hoping when things are hopeless or it's no virtue at all. As long as matters are really hopeful, hope is mere flattery or platitude. It's only when everything is hopeless that hope begins to be a strength. If ever we need a message of hope, it's at Christmas. Hallelujah. Hope is coming. And traditionally on this day, we look at the hope that the prophets of old gave to God's followers. In particular, the prophets of old spoke of the hope for a Messiah who would come and who would usher in the kingdom of God and do away with this world that we grapple with, with all its sickness and its death and all the things that go on. 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ, the prophet Messiah described this coming kingdom. And we read from chapter 60, sorry, chapter 2, wrong place. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their prunes into uh, sorry their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war any more. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. And those words about beating swords into plowshares is on the wall of the United Nations in New York. When Isaiah spoke these words of life to the people of God, it was a dark time for them indeed. He was speaking prophetically to a people 200 years hence, or 150 years hence from when he lived, but what happened is in Isaiah's lifetime, the dreaded superpower, Assyria, which was the empire of that time and a very, very um, barbarous um, and barbaric empire, had captured the northern kingdom of Israel in 722 BC. And the 10 tribes of Israel that made up this northern kingdom were taken into captivity into Assyria and disappear from the biblical record. And all that is left is this 
little two tribes of Benjamin and Judah clinging on in the face of this superpower around the nation's capital, Jerusalem. And through listening to uh, the prophets that God sent and staying loyal to God, they managed to miraculously avoid being taken captive by the Assyrians. And they survived for another 150 years under good kings and bad kings until eventually they fall into idolatry and God gives this judgment that they cannot avoid going into exile. And so Isaiah's words come to these people. In 586, after a long siege, the city of Jerusalem falls to the now superpower, Babylon. And the nation of Israel is sent into exile in Babylon. And it's there going to remain for at least 70 years. And sitting by the rivers of Babylon, yes, it's a Boney M song, weeping over the destruction of their temple, their homes, their businesses, the extinction of their nation, the Israelites would have wondered how they would ever find hope again. Some people, of course, were ready to give up. They were convinced there was no hope. God had forgotten them and no longer cared for them. Yet even while the situation appeared to be hopeless to some, others had faith that there was a hope for the future. No matter how grim their prospects seemed, God was in control. And the prophet Isaiah offered these words of encouragement, of hope for the future, for the people of God in the darkest of times. We read in Isaiah chapter 60, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Hallelujah, says Isaiah. Hope is coming. Hope arose in the people. There was a confident expectation that God loved them and that he had a future for them. And again in chapter 64, Isaiah prays a prayer and it expresses the passion and the longing and the desperation of these people. They are reminded that God has worked in the past and that they can have a strong, confident expectation that he will work for them again in the future. In chapter 64, Isaiah writes, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down that the mountains would tremble before you as when twigs, fire set twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. Come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. 
Hallelujah. Hope is coming. Sure enough, after 70 years in exile, a small group of about 10% of those that were put into exile by the Babylonians returned to Jerusalem and they rebuild the temple and they reestablish the nation. Never again are they going to reach the heights of the time before the exile. The temple that they rebuild is a pale imitation of Solomon's temple. Um, they, Israel is no longer a nation. It's under the rule of the Persians. And as they reflect on the hope that Isaiah has given for a future kingdom, they realize it hasn't come to pass as yet. But over the centuries, these people begin to put their trust and their hope in a future Messiah who is going to come and is going to usher in the kingdom of God and be a king on the throne and establish God's reign over the earth. And as the Old Testament history closes, hope remains in the heart of the Israelites. They are confidently expectant that the God in whom they trust is going to bring about this future that they all desire. And when we pick up the story 400 years later in our New Testament, that same hope can be found. God seems to have been silent. No prophet has spoken that we've had recorded for 400 years. But the New Testament begins with a voice in the wilderness bringing hope to the people of God. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet, our friend Isaiah, the voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair and he had a leather belt around his waist. He was weird. His food was locusts and wild honey. And people went out for him, to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the river Jordan. And later it says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. John's message is still of a coming Messiah. The focus of the hope of Israel in this first century Palestine. This hope for the future, this confident expectation that God is still at work has been burning in the hearts of the Israelites for 400 years since the book of Malachi was written. 400 years. But once again, the people of God are living in dark times. During those 400 years, they've had to endure a whole heap of things. The Persian Empire fell and along came a man called Alexander the Great who began the conquest of all the nations which became the empire that was 
one of the largest the world has ever seen. And part of Alexander's empire was Palestine. Under Alexander's leadership, the Jewish people were challenged <coughs> because Alexander was promoting Greek culture, the Greek language. And this was different from the Jewish culture. Their own way of life and religion was under threat. And Alexander dies at the age of 33. He was either poisoned or he got malaria. You can take your pick. So at his death at the age of 33, the nation of Israel is passed to the Egyptian rulers, the Ptolemies. And they're quite benevolent. They put up with the Jewish way of life. But after 150 years, the Syrians take over and the Syrian Seleucids are a different kettle of fish. They set out to do away with anything to do with worship of Yahweh. And they are far less tolerant of the Jewish way of life. And the Jews suffered much under the harsh rule of the Antiochenes, who set about imposing Greek culture. And the height of this opposition to the Jewish religion and way of life was when they sacrificed a pig on the temple altar, what Daniel had called the abomination of desolation. And this so incensed a group of Jewish people, the Maccabean family, that they started a revolt, which was finally victorious. And for the first time in centuries, the Israelites were um, in charge of their own nation again. They were in control of their religion, their destiny, and their land. Perhaps this is the promised kingdom of God. Perhaps this is what Isaiah was talking about. Unfortunately, these were men who were running this kingdom, and after a while, even though they were Jewish, even though they had hated the oppression of the Seleucids, they began to oppress their own people. They became corrupt, and eventually they treated their own people just as badly as the oppressors had. So by the time the Romans arrived in 63 BC in Jerusalem, the Jewish people were at a really low ebb. They had very little hope left. They clung to those promises in Scripture that God would send a Messiah a prophet. But they lived in dark times. Land was overcrowded. Taxes were crippling the economy. There were famine in the land. People were hungry. There were Roman soldiers oppressing them and patrolling the nation. And under this, there was this undercurrent of rebellion. And even as an ordinary Jewish people, you couldn't person, you couldn't take much refuge in your religion. You know, the Pharisees had emerged and they were so legalistic, no one ever added up and lived the kind of life that, that they expected you to, so you felt guilty all the time. In fact, the Pharisees would call you a sinner if you didn't keep all the laws. And then on the other hand, you had the liberal Sadducees and they were a people who didn't really know what they believed, so they weren't much comfort either. And then in the middle of all of that, there's all these people running around the countryside claiming to be the Messiah. 
and it's all very confusing. Who knows how many times people of God at that time prayed Isaiah's words, Oh God, that you would rend the heavens and come down. When people heard John the Baptist's message, they hardly dared hope. Because you know, few people knew the story of the miraculous birth of the baby Jesus in a stable in Bethlehem. Those that did know that story were filled with hope. The shepherds, the wise men, Mary and Joseph. And very few people would know of the prophecies given over Jesus when he was eight days old and presented at the temple. When Anna and Simeon both prophesied that this was the promised Messiah. Those that knew these prophecies would have been filled with hope. All those who knew these stories and knew about the birth of the baby Jesus in their hearts would be saying, Hallelujah, hope is coming. Truly, Advent hope believes that God rendered the heavens and came down in the person of Jesus Christ. And this Advent hope continued on in the hearts of people. They began to be confidently expectant that God was at work in their midst. Hope arise, arose in the hearts of people when they witnessed the ministry of Jesus. Hope arose that this was the promised Messiah. Hope arose that Jesus would usher in this kingdom of God. The death of Jesus was not the ending that the disciples were expecting and it appeared at that point hope might have been extinguished but hope arose with the resurrection of Jesus. This was true hope for a salvation that includes victory over death. The kingdom of God is already here. It's not yet completely revealed but it has been established. So the Advent hope that we hold to is the truth and expectation that God is working in our lives now, right at the present moment. It is the confident expectation that the salvation that God has promised his people throughout all of their history has come already and we live in the hope of that salvation. Advent hope is also the confident expectation that Jesus will come again, that history and this world as we know it will come to an end. Our lives have meaning and purpose and hope because of the first advent, the baby in the manger. Our lives have meaning and purpose and hope because of the second advent, Jesus returning in all his glory. We possess eternal life. There is a future beyond the grave. Emil Brunner, the Swiss theologian, declared, what oxygen is to the lungs, such is hope to the meaning of life. Hallelujah. Hope is coming. So if you're drowning in busyness as you prepare for Christmas, 
Rejoice because hope is found in the peace child of Bethlehem and in a future kingdom where you will find rest from Christmas. If you're someone who's suffering with loss and grief in this festive season, rejoice because hope is found in the Christ child's victory over death and the promise of a future eternal life. If you're dealing with loneliness and depression or anxiety at this point, rejoice because hope is found in the meaning and the purpose that comes from salvation through the baby Jesus and a new life in Christ and a future spent with him. And if you're on top of the world and looking forward to a much needed rest, rejoice because hope is found in the baby in the manger because he is your source of joy and you will rejoice forever when Christ returns. What a difference it would make to our world if all the followers of Jesus lived in Advent hope, a confident expectation that Jesus is at work in our lives. Our families would be blessed as we lived life, lives of purpose and meaning. Our neighbours, I'm sure, would remark on the hope that we have even in the darkest times of our lives. And our nation would be forever transformed as we offered the hope, the confident expectation that God is in charge and control of our future to address the sufferings of those who live in our community without hope. I went and saw The Messiah last night, a production of that in a church in, in East Melbourne. And as it gets to the Hallelujah Chorus, you need to listen to the words when you hear it because it's not about Jesus' first coming. It's about his second coming. So when we lift our candles and when we stand and we sing the Hallelujah Chorus, it's about the expectation and the hope that we possess as Christians that generation after generation after generation have joined together in the darkest of times to have a confident expectation that God is at work in our lives. Hallelujah. Hope is coming. <laughs>